Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Uddang dhammang sanggang namasami So just the um, thought, reflection for this evening on what is it that can keep us going, or if we're going, if we can consider ourselves as going at all. <laughs> you know, what uh, keeps us coming back to a, a situation where we maybe have to meet discomfort and uh, worries and, you know, inner turmoil. Mm-hmm. And certainly one of the Quality, uh, one of the, the uh, things that does keep us going is, that, is some sense of this is to be resolved and yet uh, we also have to bear in mind you know, that there's something very immediate that can be experienced that's already a resolution quite a simple something quite a profound something and uh, something that we all you know, use both as the tenor of how we practice, and also an aim, you might say, of why we practice. Um, it's balance, you know. Let's say balance. That's a nice kind of word to put on your fridge door. You know, balance. It's a. Uh, it's, it's an extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, carries a very beautiful meaning, sense of poise, and and equilibrium in the midst of circumstances, events, situations that can be changing, going up and down, painful, pleasant, so balance within that. It means there's a stillness that's not about holding on, fixed, rigid, clinging to something. It's got an internal support to it. It's not, we're not pre-propped up. So there's a certain freedom in that. Freedom, poise, uh, being within conditions and situations without getting either ignoring them or getting blown away by them. Mm-hmm. It's balance. And it's a very beautiful thing when if we touch into that in ourselves, we find a place where we are actually just uh, you know, with the thoughts and the feelings and the bodily sensations. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not making something out of this. There's that uh, quality of uh, called tamayata in Buddhism, very precious term, meaning don't make anything out of it. Yeah, just... Mm-hmm. And of course, this balance is uh, uh, quite an easy thing to a simple word. We can all understand what it means. We can refer to it in terms of physical balance or emotional balance. And yet you also realize it's quite a, quite a rare thing for people to, <laughs> to stay with. You know? A lot of the time we're just kind of rocking around, you know. 
and uh, part of the, uh, um, the the reality of balance is mostly balance is about learning about imbalance. You know, it's like when you want to balance a scale, you have to go too far this way, uh, then this way, and then wait a minute, a little more of that, and that uh, 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 until after a while you start to, you know, get subtle enough to get not just too heavy, but the very quality of balance itself starts to manifest as a sense of lightness that's firm. It's one-pointed and yet it doesn't really have a position. And you start to get a feeling for that, you know, when that, that can occur. The sense of balance. Mm. And mostly uh, in our practice uh, then is, is recognized that these, these times when we do, we do realize that and it's the, there's moments when that happens to us, and so we can see it in situations around us. There's a sense of harmony, uh, uh, rightness, you know. Mm. But uh, a lot of the time, we actually, you know, you you start to 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 realize a lot of fundamental assumptions have to be um, have to be overhauled. And these are the, the Buddha actually mentioned four very fundamental assumptions. I call them assumptions because, again, it's a pretty easy word. But he sometimes called them poisons or toxins or floods. And these are things that we're not consciously uh, directing or even conscious of at all. They're like uh, underlying currents almost behind the way we think, behind the way we move, behind what we aim for, mm-hmm. underlying current. So, you know, you can recognize any moment when you just sit down with nothing to do, don't have any particular aim in mind, just sit there, start, things start happening. <laughs> you don't have to decide to do anything. You just sit down quietly for a few moments and, and decide not to do anything in particular, and pretty soon the music starts playing, doesn't it? You know, the show starts rolling. Well, 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 where did that come from? <laughs> you know, memories, thoughts, uh, negative feelings, uh, this, that, and the other stuff is flowing. You know, there's an underground current, you know, that even when you switch off or you switch off your deliberate decisions to do things, things still keep happening. This is because of these underlying, what are called floods, currents, um, uh, and they can be used in much more powerful words. And they are, they are, uh, and they're, like, they're kind of uh, like a, almost like an underground stream that keep throwing us out of balance, out of that poise. And the first of these is the, the current, or of course, sensuality. Sensuality is again kind of, kind of rather kind of heavy word, but it means fundamentally the assumption that there's something to, to see, taste, touch, feel think, you know, you could get it, and you, you get it, you know, uh, you know, and so this is, this is happening all the time, there must be something to get, something you could kind of, you know, like a, uh, the right, exactly the right scenario, the right temperature, the right flavor, you know, right, and then even the right thought, and, and a subtler sense, even the right kind of, uh, um, state you could get to you can get it 
don't know if you ever if we're, was traveling in Mallorca the other week, and we, we you know, and we, I was walking through the hills of Mallorca the other week, and you come through these mountain sides and you see some incredibly nice little cottage stuck out in the mountain. Wow, it must be wonderful to live there, you know. First, build a hermitage here, you know, mountains, fresh air sound of a few goats clinking their bells, olive trees, this is it, you know. <laughs> Can't be any suffering here, can there? <laughs> I don't know if you ever go through those, you know, the ideal place. <laughs> Funny that nobody's found it yet, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe get your yacht, huh? Remember telling the story of somebody who worked for a millionaire who had a yacht, and this this millionaire was kind of coasting around the, the Caribbean, you know, for the the ideal place must be somewhere, and he had everything. You know, there wasn't anything he couldn't have. He had a helicopter, jet plane, everything he had, and the only thing he could kind of, you know, so he, what would he do anymore, you know, with that? And he found himself that this millionaire with his particular kind of thing that he really treasured for himself was the ability to swim off the side of the boat and defecate in the sea at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) This was something he felt was a kind of special privilege he could do (laughs) that other people couldn't do, which is kind of uh, true, but... (laughs) So there must be something we can get, and yet we never got it. Yeah. And we think maybe somebody else has got it, but so just see what that, how that, how that operates, and how how desperate that makes us, how frustrated it makes, and how actually it does spoil the sense world. You know, when you just allow the sights, sounds, touches, thoughts is to be there, touch you, move on. There's a beauty, there's a wonder, there's a joyfulness. And as soon as you hold on to it, it starts to wither. Mm-hmm. And that's what... So sensuality is not a version of the sense world. It's just, don't hold this. You know? And look at that assumption, how it creates a certain pressure in your mind and a certain discontent in your mind and a certain jealousy in your mind. And it pushes pushes and you can you know you can say you just look around in the in the world or in the the western world particularly i mean just people are just loaded with this stuff shopping arcades stuff you can buy have that will get you cool smart stylish the new one the best one and so on and it becomes more than a currently becomes indeed a flood and people are swept away in it. Lose their balance. Lose their dignity. Lose their sense of contentment. Don't know how to handle sight, sounds, touches. How to keep it light. Another big assumption that, that, uh, that occurs is the, is the sense of... Um, time or becoming which um, means that there's this kind of fundamental feeling that you know you, you can you can progress you can get on you can become something 
other people become something. And to a certain extent it's true. You know, we become, get a PhD, you get this, that and the other. And yet, on an external level, you do become things. But internally, you know, in terms of your own heart and mind, does any of it feel that you've arrived? That you've got there? That you've finally become what you wanted to be, needed to be, you're completed? Yeah. And you look at the extreme examples of it, people, athletes who've got to get the gold medal, you know, rupturing themselves with the strain to get there. You know, business executives have got to, you know, keep getting better and better deals and so on. And this, uh, this becoming quality is something that, uh, that of course, in, uh, is, so, is an underlying assumption. So it, it certainly transfers into to Dhamma practice and become enlightened. Get to be a better meditator. Mm. You know, get stricter, get straighter, get more knowledge, get more deeper understanding. So that, you know, eventually you'll have it there, you know, it all there. And to a certain extent, you know, there's truth in that we can see we do become or something becomes. Two things do change, things do move along, and yet you never really arrived. You know. Apparently when I started meditating, then you know, there was no doubt in my mind that that if I did this, you know, I'd get better at it. And then I would get to this, you know, I, if any of the curtains would open, bingo, there you were. You know, you're in whatever you're supposed to have arrived at, you'd have got there. It might take a few weeks, maybe, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and just, well, okay, you know, we'll just try a bit harder. You know, a few weeks wasn't enough, so just try a bit harder, cram more stuff in, put, get a bit more intense. Well, give it a couple of months, you know what I mean, you know. Two or three months, jeez, you know, starting to get a bit cross-eyed with the effort. And maybe it's a different system or technique one could use, I could use, and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Trying to become something. And very much associated with uh, doing. Doing something in order to become something. Does it Does it ever happen that you've done enough to have got to that place where you're complete? Hmm? (laughs) It's nice to know there's nothing wrong with you, particularly as the saver. All of us are failures (laughs) on the becoming level. (laughs) But along the way, uh, certainly in... in, uh, Spiritual life, but I think in life in general, we get into the other, uh, tr- another trap, which is views, which means we get, this is the right way, this is the best way, this is the only way. My group are right, your group are not so good. You know, we got it sorted, you people are not there. You know? And it could be politics, it could be religion, it could be stars of cooking, who knows? It could be nationalities, we adopt views. And the idea is that you could get a view that would be the consummate one. You know, 
could get the ideology that would would say it all, would get it all, yeah. supreme. And uh, you know, and this tends to, for meditators, tends to come down to views about particular techniques or systems or teachers or teachings, which is the right one, the best one. And there's a feeling of, you know, well, actually, mine is the best. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. In fact, it's a very lovely, interesting story of uh, uh, this uh, Chinese master, Master Hua, who was coming to mind and was talking about him with Ajahn Manindu earlier today. And uh, he had one of these uh, big conferences of world religions. He got all the different world religions to come together into his monastery. And he's a Chinese uh, Chan monk. So he said he had a Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Orthodox and Sufis and Jews and Mahayana, Theravada, Zen, the whole shebang. He said, okay, everybody's getting up, giving their spiel about their religion, their thing, their thing, what it was. So, okay, we listened to this for four or five days. Now we could decide whose is the best. <laughs> Let's get down to it. Who's got the best religion? Because <laughs> you're not you're supposed to be, you know, you obviously you think yours is the best, but you don't want to say that because we're in this big kind of eclectic ecumenical thing. So everybody's just kind of presenting their own truth, which they assume everyone will recognize is the best. You know? So you so, say, so, well, okay, well, whose is the best? Who's really got it? And there's kind of silence. And he took your finger and he said, you've got the best religion. Otherwise, you wouldn't be following it, would you? <laughs> Just pointed to everybody. Everybody's the best. <laughs> and that you see what how that challenges because a view always means that there's a separation, isn't there? You know, my team, your team, my lot, your lot, and around that, all kinds of nasty things can happen because my side. You know, we can start to lose compassion for your lot. We sort of tolerate your lot, but you know, you're not really there. And after a while, we don't really think much of your opinions. And in fact, we start to do what we think will be good for you, because you're not really there yet. So we'll, you know, we we'll look after that. And if you start to get a bit feisty about it, we might actually have to do something to quiet you down for your own good. <laughs> and this sort of thing goes on, doesn't it? In religions, you know, missionaries and excommunications and so on. But the Buddha said when he, his fir, the first uh, sutta in the, in the long discourses is just about views. All the different views people have about the world, the cosmos. And these are views that, that are coming from their own experience. You know, they're experiencing something. You know. And they, they, so from some experience, some kind of meditative or contemplative or ideological thing they've, they've worked out, they've got some view. This is true. The world is finite. The world is infinite. The world and the self are the same. The world and the self are separate. They're neither the same nor separate. The boundary is this, that, and the other. Some view or another about ultimate truth. And uh, the Buddha listens to all these. And he says, all these views... I have heard. I understand the attraction in them. You know, you get clarity, and I understand the attraction in them. I understand the danger in them. And because of this, 
I've stepped beyond them. <laughs> so it's not to say that, uh, that no views are completely useless. They give us some sense of perspective, but the assumption that there is one view that would sum it all up, that we could have, apart from to perhaps to say that all views are relative, including this one. So then the mind is what? The mind is not pushing, it's not holding, it's not pressing, it's not standing on anything, it's liberated. This is what it means to come out of these floods, these assumptions. And of course the fourth one of these four, it's nice to have these lists, isn't it, is, is ignorance. Which means that uh, ignorance is the force that's, that keeps taking us away from the point of understanding how suffering, stress, pressure, demand, loss, aggravation, tension, holding on, how all that is generated and how it is relinquished. Yeah. So, and the mind keeps slipping away from that point to something I could have or be or get rather than how, do, how in all of this is the sense of pressure, demand, obligation, need, loss, self, other, all these things that create tension and stress and conflict. You know, do I keep my eye on that and see where that's coming from and release that, that pressure? So these are the, the four fundamental assumptions that, that are going on. You know, four fundamental floods. As we contemplate, as we look into our, into our minds, well, how do you keep going? How do you find balance? How do you come out of these floods? This is, in fact, uh, this is a, one way of looking or describing the practice. How do you come out of these? First, you acknowledge them, the presence of them. And how do you acknowledge them? You can, through direct experience. Now, the Buddha defined his Dhamma, Sanditiko, that is directly relevant, directly perceivable. So it's not, and then Akaliko, it's not delayed in time. Not a, it doesn't come through a movement in time. It's not something that, you know, is through that, through that becoming energy. It's, it's more like opening up. So it invites you to come in and have a look more deeply. Look more deeply into the present, into the structure of your experience in the present moment. Into the, into the pushes, the movements, the energies, the sensations, the inclinations, the biases, the liking, the disliking. Look more deeply into all of that. Upanayako, it does lead you deeply inwards. It's furthering. It's furthering and yet it's not about further moving forward in time. It's about moving deeper in the present. So it's a movement, we might say, in terms of deepening space or, or enriching space or, fu- or fully knowing the space of the present moment. 
what your mind can be within the present moment, knowing it more deeply. So there is certainly, there's, you might say, there's an arrow of inclination, there's an arrow of intention. But instead of it moving towards the future, you know, well, let the future take care of itself. You know, the arrow of our intention, our arrow of our aim is to, can I deepen, can I explore the present? What's here right now? It's all, it's all here. All that we need is here. Pachatang means it's uh, revealed or experienced in yourself. It's not, it can't be given by somebody else, which makes one feel a little bit, oh dear. But the beauty of it is that uh, it's, in your, it's, it's there for you. It's in, you you're, you're sitting in your own gold mine, you might say, if you dig. Pachatang, Vedidapo, Vinyuhi. It's that which is uh, made visible, made tangible, perceived, experienced through the qualities of wisdom, through the qualities of uh, knowing, deep knowing. It's knowing. So this is a very lovely mantra, you might say. If your fridge door's got any more room on it, stick this one on it. So that's why you chant it every day. You take one term at a time and just explore the meaning of that. You know, what does it mean? Akaliko. Akaliko means not in time. Hmm. So what is in time? Sensations come and go. They're in time. Thoughts come and go. They're in time. Uh, our sense of, of of drive and purpose sort of wavers and flickers in time. What is it that doesn't that isn't in time? Hmm? And it's knowing. Yeah. Sorry. The sense of knowing, the sense of vinyu, to know, to know insightfully, to to have a sense of uh, feeling it out, awareness that's directed into things. This quality, vinyu. Uh, so awareness, we might say, is not delayed in time. It's not moving in time. Time moves within it. Sensations, thoughts, the time-bound experiences move through awareness, don't they? Yeah. And so our aim really is to is to begin to to uh, learn, to experience awareness as awareness. Also, when you go into it, this has balance. It's not pushing. It's not holding on. It's not favoring. It's not... You know? And it is complete in itself. There's nothing... You, you, you don't have to add anything to it. But it needs to be revealed. It needs to be brought into play. So we... And... Uh, you get the feeling for this, then it's really paying attention. So you keep recognizing whatever the situation, look into it deeply, look what it's doing to you, and make that attention something that's much more than just an object definition attention, but is also insightful. That is, you're looking at, at, what, at the relationship, what's happening to you. 
how you're being affected, how these floods are happening for you, what your pushes and drives and inclinations for, whether you're pushed back or moved forward by it. Look at how it's affecting your balance. Mm-hmm. Paying attention. And then widening so that you, you come out of that uh, tension, soften the mind, loosen and widen your attention. So you get the whole picture of what's going on. And then you can gradually, you know, you know, the ability to, to that awareness can include it all. So we can include, uh, when we practice meditation, we can include the meditation object, you know, the thing that you're focusing on. And as you focus on that and repeatedly through mindfulness, you keep coming back to that, and you start to sense not just the, the object itself, the, the, but also your attitudes towards it, whether your mind is wavering, flickering, whether it's pleased. And the idea is you, you keep widening your, uh, your reference around that particular meditation object. So when you're doing mindfulness of breathing, uh, it's not just you know like shooting coconuts at a, at a fair where you've got to keep pinging away, one, two, three, four, five, but also, hey, you know, how am I doing this? Is this coming from a place of balance or is it getting frantic? So when I first started uh, meditation, then I certainly had a, a system system going, and the idea was unwavering mindfulness and get every every breath, every movement of it. So you have to kind of name it all the time. Name every movement of your breath. Name it in the belly, name it in the nose, name what's happening. So you start doing this thing, and then get more and more of them. So you can know this, that, this, that. Feeling in your head, feeling in your foot, feeling in your arm, feeling in your nose. So the I think, wow, I'm really getting good at this. I'm going like a like a, um, but the image was all like a like one of those kind of um, they call them those pinball machines. You know, suddenly everything lights up. Mm-hmm. Bang, 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 bang. You kind of move, mind moves around lighting all these little buttons up. Mm. I got quite good at it, in a way. But uh, what I didn't uh, immediately recognize was the amount of, uh, of suffering that was involved in all that. <laughs> you know, the, the assumption that one would somehow get to the, to the, to the, the uh, some kind of final state through that alone. There's a lot of energy going into it, and a lot of views about it, a lot of sense of becoming going into it, and actually not really kind of comprehending what was going on in all that. So that's how you can meditate and miss the point. <clears throat> and it's rather like... Uh, you know, a meditation teacher said it's rather like, you know, when you're putting a lot of energy into it, a lot of effort into the practice, it's rather like getting in a boat, rowing like crazy, putting all you've got into rowing, adding more and more oars, rowing like crazy, and realizing you haven't actually put it into the water yet. <laughs> you know, the effort's there, the commitment's there, the resolution's there, the unflagging effort's there. 
you're even waving those oars in a very proficient way, but you actually, actually haven't put it in the water yet. Yeah. So uh, for myself, certainly just just uh, that all that effort really was just um, something coming from my head, from my ideas, theories, aims, ambitions, assumptions. And after a few years, it's, you know the the you begin to get this, something starts to widen. There's such a thing as heart, <laughs> as faith, as contentment, as uh, as, as a, sort of a quality of, of uh, that can uh, that can that can relate to what we're doing. Mm. And then there's eventually such a thing as body, not just a thing with legs and arms and so forth, but a real sense of of presence and groundedness. And when these three come together. You, it builds up a quality of balance, because actually, what we are uh, moving to through this process of deepening inquiry, investigation, is coming to wholeness. You know. So we're not just sort of spinning heads. We're not just the aims and ideas. We've incorporated the emotional base and the somatic base, the sense of presence, the sense of relational sense, the empathic sense, and they've all started to come together. This is actually the most useful way, I think, to look at, to consider the term concentration. Concentration or samadhi, when you normally put that word into into play, the, the, the lines start appearing on your forehead almost immediately. It's a, it's a furrowing exercise, isn't it? You know, so concentration is something you do with uh, mathematics or crosswords or solving problems. You just screw your head up to do it. That's why I'm almost uh, very cautious about using the word. But uh, samadhi, which is the the often translated as concentration, comes around through through beginning to to stay bear bear something in mind like breathing and out. And open up to the feelings, the energies, and the patience that's required to keep coming out of the streams, out of the floods. It's coming back to the point. And it's not just a, it's not just a functional exercise. It's a quality of heart, of patience, of contentment, of modesty, of restraint that uh, builds up to this dimension of, uh, of a sacred heart base it's not the heart just as some kind of place of emotions but it's a place of of deep faith and contentment and spaciousness and balance and as we as that becomes more apparent the mind starts that you start to feel a quality of happiness because a balanced mind is happy it's not happy because you're adding something to it it's happy in its own balance it's like it knows its own vitality, its own clarity, and it's contented with that. We don't need to go shopping. We don't need to make it jump through hoops. We don't need to make an ideology out of it. It's, it's happy in itself. This, is, uh, this happiness is the actual the, the sign of right concentration or right samadhi. It's a unity 
whereby we've begun to incorporate our aspirations, our contentment, our compassion into here and now energized practices that we're doing all the time. You know? so it's there for you. It's like a, it's a body of, of empathy that's there for you. And you ground it. You, know? you ground it in this um, physical or this, this, uh, this body system. And body is something that that's, uh, gets lost. We think, uh, you know, body is athletics or body is, uh, is uh, the physical form, but body is really the sense of the, the nervous system. So, you, you know, the, the nervous system, the chemicals of the, of the body can be made uh, contented, quietened, refreshed and vitalized. And this too is an aspect of, of what we do as we deepen and steady and penetrate. We come out of the jangled frenzy of our nervous system. We come out of the stale patches and the tense patches, and we come into something that sense of actual bodily refreshment. And this is the way the Buddha described samadhi. He said, "When you, you know, when you practice virtue, then your mind will not be full of regret and remorse." Hmm? When your mind is not full of regret and remorse, it will more readily and joyfully enter into your body. You know, you can actually sit with yourself. You're not kind of nervous. You, your nervous system calms down. Hmm? When, you, when you come into your body, you'll find a sense of relaxation. When you really come into it as it is. When you're not fiddling with it, wrestling with it, but actually settle into it you get the sense of uh, rest and relaxation. And when your body is rested and relaxed in itself, your mind feels happy. When your mind is happy, it concentrates. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do concentration. You don't, it's not something you, you screw your head up for. Concentration is a result, not an action. It's the result of care, attention and balance. You know, balance with one's body, balance with one's feelings, balance with one's emotions. Mm-hmm. It means we, we listen, we attend, we sense that which takes us out of balance, that which blows us around and we say, no, no, I don't need that. You know balance through knowing imbalance and through inclining away from imbalance. You know the imbalance of greed, of whole, of attachment. You know the imbalance of of pressure and and drivenness and obsessiveness. You say, no, it's just that. And every time you you, so the path is one of of the relinquishment. Relinquishment takes us back into balance. Balance takes us into happiness, and so we're able to rest in that. This is what uh, can keep us going. And uh, because, you know, there's a, there's a natural inclination that we all have. We don't have to conjure it up. And uh, the natural inclination, which is for our own well-being. You know? And Buddha, being a pragmatist, recognized that essentially... You know, there's a, such a thing as enlightened self-interest. <laughs> you just, you know, if you if you 
focus the practice and the teaching on what we fundamentally are already aiming for and say, this is how you do it, then with the right kind of encouragement, we keep going because that's, how, that's what we're here for, to find our own well-being. So uh, I offer this for your reflection tonight with my wishes that we all find our own well-being and encouragement to do 